Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Charles Prusik on the show today. Hey, hey, Charles. Nice to see you. Thanks, Levy. Charles has uh, recently assumed the beverage director position over at Lupa. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well, thanks. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be at Lupa for about a year uh, before I was handed uh, this opportunity. So, you know. And you were like bartending? Yeah, I was uh, behind the bar. Um, you did some cocktail stuff, though, right? You were helping out with the uh, You know, a little bit. Uh you know, it's not exactly the most cocktail-friendly uh, setup over there. We're talking about a restaurant that is 13 years old and uh, sort of predates the, you know, the classic cocktail revival, really. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, and so the setup, the physical uh, space behind the bar, pretty small, a uh, little limiting. So uh, what I've tried to do is... Uh, repurpose, you know, the cocktail list towards uh, aperitivi, which I think really in the Italian uh, setting, that's that's how cocktails should focus. So I things mean, like Negronis, but a little different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, you know, it's supposed to get you ready uh, for the meal ahead. And certainly every once in a while, we're going to have somebody who might want to drink cocktails all the way through their meal. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it, the Italian table is is food and wine uh, and those things together. So ideally, if people are going to come in and really hopefully have the whole experience, maybe they'll start with a Negroni. I mean, there's there's almost no better cocktail, in my opinion, to prime your palate and really get you excited uh, for the meal ahead. And so hopefully they'll start with that and move into, move into some wine. I remember you came up with a really interesting Negroni where you put Fernet in it. Uh, instead of sweet vermouth, is that how it went? How did it go? Yeah, uh, we were using the uh, the Dapoloni uh, Fernet, which uh, for those of you are Fernet or Amaro hounds, uh, that's the bottle that has Prodotto d'Italia written across right. the label. And then like a, a, recently, I've been sort of uh, explaining that to our staff that that basically just means made in Italy. Made in Italy. So, yeah. uh, so some 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 people out there are asking. For the made for, in Italy, for, for the made in Italy, for that, uh, but just, there's just, several of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, but yeah, it was a uh, Negroni with uh, 
with just that substitution, basically. And then yeah. otherwise, uh, Carpano, Antica, uh, Sweet Vermouth, and and Campari, and then uh, a flamed orange peel just for some nice... But it was really kind of fall flavors, and it had that deep, savory character. It was kind of a revelatory for me when you served it at the time, because it was kind of a real different take on Negroni. And of course, this was several years ago. Now, many people have done Negroni takes. But, you know, the reason I bring it up is that Lupa has a large selection of, of Amaro and Fernet. And is that something you've continued on, where you've uh, implemented some of the Amaro into the cocktails? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think that certainly uh, people have a better awareness of Amaro in part because uh, places like Lupa has been supporting that for, for quite some time. For a long time now. And then certainly I think as uh, Italian cuisine has just uh, become uh, a much bigger player on, on the you know national scale uh, in terms of competing with, with French cuisine. Uh, it just in, 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 terms of widespread popularity uh the amari side of it is very much part of the deal and i think that people are are open to that now even if they still don't really uh you know they okay i've heard this fernet thing so they might have they have a little awareness maybe they're not uh they're not really sure if it's something that is for them but we are lucky that we can offer you know, 20, really 30 plus different Amari so that uh, we can find the the one that hopefully uh, will make them, you know, a believer and will make them want to to sample that item again. What else is behind the bar that's maybe a little unusual? I've noticed a lot of Sambuca different times I've been there. Sure. Uh, I have actually uh, started consolidating the Sambuca a little okay. bit. bringing it all back. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I think that with a setup like we have, well, we certainly devote almost all of our back bar space to to Italian uh, products uh, outside of the, you know, bare necessities that you need to have to to have a functioning restaurant bar. Uh, you know, the Italian side is really our focus. But even within that, uh, the spectrum of flavor difference between Sambuca is, uh, you know, not nearly as wide as the spectrum. From you know, say something like a lighter Amaro, like Del Capo, for example, mm-hmm. to obviously you know a Luxardo Fernet, which is intensely herbal and bitter and and pretty potent. So I think that you uh, can offer fewer choices, still cover the spectrum. I think so, and I think that most people are uh, not going to do a Sambuca flight, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know you line up three. Amari on a regular basis, people can see that they can see the difference. Uh, they're much the difference is much more marked. Whereas with Sambuca, uh, it's not going to be nearly uh, the same sort of appreciable differences. And I think for most people would you know would really appreciate. So you're there at Lupa and you're attending bar and you're making up some great cocktails and you're doing some editing on the selections of the the different liquor items behind the bar. But then all of a sudden, uh, you get the great opportunity to handle the wines, too. What was the transition like, and how was the change, and how did that come down? Uh, well, the uh, the transition uh, was pretty smooth. Uh, certainly, I was inheriting a program that had been very well uh, curated, very well taken care of. 
uh, by your now boss, I guess we should say. Well, yeah. that's true, uh, and and that obviously is is uh, one of the other biggest factors in a smooth transition. Having uh, our general manager, who was previously the wine director, uh, you know, around to oh to guide you a to little guide bit. me through the Be like, through, hey, this is a good guy, this is a bad guy. Yeah, through and through the early ins and outs because I had done. Uh, liquor purchasing in the past sort right. of run uh run a bar program but specifically uh the wine side of things was was fairly new to me uh and i think that i'd worked uh with uh some people in the past uh who ran uh lovely programs and i was able to sort of look at things that they were doing and and take some uh take some lessons away uh in terms of you know being able to turn around and apply that to what i was hoping to do at lupa and i think the first thing uh that i was able to do was try to you know find some areas of of focus because uh certainly like i mentioned we're always going to represent all of italian wine at lupa but that's just a sea of wine and if you don't have at least some things that some signature hooks yeah some things you really specialties uh can you know can explore you're just lost and 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 in the logistics of trying to manage your time trying to set appointments i mean if you say okay well you know all wines everywhere from italy are fair play and you know you're taking over as a as a as a new uh wine buyer everybody wants to set appointments with you everybody wants to have uh, some of your time and you know that comes with the territory but it can it can overwhelm and it can take up all your time if you let it and uh thankfully i had uh you know some good teachers previously and it had a lot of good advice on site as to how to manage my time so i mean it seems to me like uh Fairly extensive wine program there. Always had a real focus on Italian regional wines, and uh, you're in charge of that uh, now. How's that working out? Uh, it's working out really well, uh, and I think that well, part of our mandate is sort of at Lupa is to always cover all of Italy, you know, regionally, and I've been trying to identify within that some certain areas that I'd like to focus in on a little bit, just so we can offer still some depth in certain areas. Fair enough. Uh, while still trying to, uh, you know, represent the, the broad range of, you know, Italian regions and, and Italian varietals. So what's getting bigger on the program? Uh, primarily the, uh, the wines from the Valtellina. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, for me, I think that, first of all, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a region with a great history. Uh, certainly, obviously, I think the wines are great. Uh, so this is the area near Milan that surrounds Milan. That's next to Piemonte. Yeah. Uh, so you're basically talking almost up or up into the Alps, higher elevations, cooler climates, and uh, predominantly planted uh, with Nebbiolo. And uh, but they call it like something different there, right? Yeah, they call it uh, Chiavanasca. Oh, okay. So that is. Uh, it gives you, I think, well, wines from Nebbiolo, generally speaking, uh, are some of the best red wines uh, from Italy. Uh, certainly, in my opinion, I think many others uh, would agree with that assessment. And 
at the restaurant, I like to break it down for people that maybe I'm trying to introduce uh, to those wines in such that we can make the, uh, the Pinot Noir comparison in that uh, you've got, you know, one of the most food-friendly wines. I think certainly the Valtellina wines, you still have the same great uh, structure and complexity that you can have uh, in uh, Barolo, uh, but not nearly the same uh, amount of concentration. And uh, that just makes them, I think, so versatile uh, at the table. And especially in a setting where we have such a such a, a wide, uh, diverse menu. And while we do offer uh, a chef's uh, tasting menu, essentially, uh, you know, we don't do a whole lot of wine pairings. And then I, I'm constantly aware of trying to, I think, put wines on the list that are really versatile and that could, you know, uh, show well with uh, the wide range of things that we offer. So what you mean is because there's no set pairing, no tasting menu of, of course after course after course where there's a specific pairing, you really need something that can, that's flexible on the wine side that can go with all kinds of different dishes. So you could you pair it with antipasti, you can pair it with pasta, you can pair it with uh, whatever the entree might be. Uh, is that is that kind of the, the thing? You need something a little flexible? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I know uh, you've, and you know, uh, anybody who's worked in the restaurant setting as, as a sommelier has, has had the experience with uh, the challenges that, uh, you know, that pairing wine in a restaurant setting uh, can present. You, what you're talking about is if you don't have a set menu where the chef isn't setting a, a progression of courses in such a way that you can do a, an equal uh, progression of wines, you find yourself uh, sort of at the mercy in terms of what you're trying to do pairing-wise uh, uh, at the mercy of what the guest is going to order so that they can order, you know, something, uh, say, meats, cured meats, prosciutto to start for their antipasti. Uh, they could have a pasta possibly with, uh, with the tomato-based sauce, and then they might have... Uh, Maybe that has a little bit of meat in it. Certainly, we have uh, several pastas like that. And then they might move on to uh, something with uh, some kind of a fish dish with, you know, as, as their main. And uh, traditionally, you'd say, okay, white wine with fish. Well, if, if, you know, people have already had a lot of other richer, uh, weightier foods before that, uh, it can be it can be difficult to. Uh, you know, try to construct a traditional pairing in that way. And so has that brought you to the pass of a few lighter reds like you might find from the north? Uh, certainly. I think, I think again, they just, uh, they have uh, the structure and the tannin that allows them to stand up to uh, the richer, weightier dishes on the menu. Uh, but that tannin also helps cleanse the palate and I think that uh, these are wines that show a lot of elegance and uh, certainly can accompany the lighter dishes. Oh, okay. Uh, what are some of the pairings you're particularly happy about coming out of the kitchen these days? What are some of the dishes you love to pair up with a specific wine? Well, uh, right now uh, we are sort of 
probably in the last stretch of serving our uh, sweet corn and capolacci. Oh, Obviously, okay. Yeah, sure. End of uh, summer. Sort of a, yeah, fantastic, you know, summer uh, dish and uh, just a very basic uh, stuffed pasta, uh, a light sort of uh, ricotta uh, marscapone filling and sweet corn inside and outside the pasta as well. And uh, my my go to there is uh, is a Fiano Diavolino. Oh, okay. Uh, and for those who might not know uh, Fiano, uh, it is uh, a grape that is found throughout the uh, south of Italy. But I think certainly the most uh, distinct expression for me is, is the Fiano, specifically from uh, from on Avellino in Campania, and it has a uh, a dis- very distinct uh, sort of smoky cheese uh, nose, which is something that, and it comes through oftentimes on the palate as well. Why do you uh, think that might be? Well, you know, you've got a great amount of uh, volcanic soil oh, in, okay. in Campania and throughout a lot of southern Italy, which uh, I think certainly is why. Uh, of course, that's Pompeii area where all those Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not under the not too far not too far at all, and obviously a lot of people know the the wines from uh, from Etna in Sicily. Mm-hmm. Uh, still another active volcanic, yeah. volcano. Uh, so that uh, throughout the south, you get some you know uh, wines that have great complexity. But I think for me, Fiano being uh, so distinct uh, from uh, not just other wines made from from uh, white grapes in Italy, but uh, throughout the world, I think. Uh, it's almost instantly recognizable if you've been fortunate enough to taste, you know, uh, several different examples. So pretty different than like Chardonnay. Uh, certainly. And I think that uh, is a great example to offer to somebody who says, you know, well, uh, I've never really had a white wine from Italy that tasted like anything. Mm-hmm. I've only had uh, I've only had Suave. I've only had, uh, you know, something along those lines. They think of just like... You know, the, the table wine that maybe it's really nice when you're there, you know, in Italy, you're there on the coast, you're having some seafood. Uh, it's just, it's crisp, it's clean, it's refreshing. Right at that moment, you probably don't want anything else. But uh, sometimes when you, you know, you come back, uh, you come back home and you realize, you know, I'd, I'd like to, you know, try some different things and really see what's out there. And I think, uh, I think Fiano is a fantastic uh, example of one of the native Italian varietals that uh, that make Italy uh, such a special and, and diverse uh, you know, wine country. What are some of the other pairings that maybe moving into fall that you're psyched about? Uh, well, uh, certainly we have a uh, an Albania di Romagna. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. It's a slightly skin contact uh, uh, from uh, from Ancarani in Emilia Romagna. Uh, and that is something that I we don't even have you know really most of the fall dishes on the menu yet sure. hasn't hit yeah but I I can certainly see that working uh, with, with fall flavors with fall flavors and some darker sense. spices butternut squash yeah absolutely uh, sage brown butter you know we're at at Lupa we're we're very you know seasonal and very market driven uh-huh. and uh, you know have been fortunate to be doing that for a lot of years. And I think that certainly, uh, the New York scene has, has absolutely caught up to that, you know, uh, but we are in such close proximity to union square, which is obviously one of 
the best green markets uh, in the city or, or probably anywhere. It's really, it's really fantastic. And it's, you know, inspiring to, uh, to be able to go there uh, almost on a daily basis and see, you know, uh, what's coming in and know that's going to end up, you know, on our menu pretty soon. So that's where you are now. How did you get there? Uh, you worked a little bit in Massachusetts and then you moved to New York. Uh, what was the story? Yeah, I, uh, I moved back to, uh, to central Massachusetts, uh, where I was, uh, raised after, after college and really didn't have any idea of what was next, uh, for me. So I chose to, uh, move back home and live cheaply and not a bad idea. Free, no free laundry. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, free laundry. My parents were, uh, you know, fantastic. And, uh, but maybe the Capolacci was a little lacking. Uh, you know, my mother, my mother's an excellent cook. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen her make Capolacci. So <laughs> yeah. maybe, 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 uh, next time when I go home, we'll, we can pull out the recipe book yeah. and we'll, we'll yeah. talk a little bit. But maybe but, you were seeking something else. Yeah. You know, uh, so I was in uh, college administration. I was working at the University of Massachusetts Amherst uh, in the registrar's office, and uh, it was total, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five office job, and that worked for me okay for a while. But I knew I wanted to kind of do something else at the, in the meantime, so I started. Uh, I started uh, attending a bar and 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 waiting on tables some in just a, a small local restaurant that I'd actually washed dishes on or at rather when I was, uh, when I was young and, uh, just basically was, you know, taught on the job and got thrown behind the bar, which, uh, certainly, uh, would be the way I would, uh, you know, advise any, anybody who's interested in getting into bartending, uh, to, to do, you know, uh, find some, find some place that you like, find some place where you think you can, you can learn some things and and hopefully ask you know those people to to give you a shot and 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 they'll teach you and 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 you'll grow from that uh i think uh bartending schools are uh not exactly uh very useful okay and i don't think i don't, you know i don't think that that's necessarily the route most people take i know they're you know they're out there but i think that you know, if if your goal is to tend bar, why not start out by just tending bar? By, and you'll, by tending bar, you'll learn as you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had I had that experience uh, and uh, did it for about four years, working working two jobs. Uh, so I was, you know, putting in some serious hours, but I realized that I could do that because I enjoyed the restaurant side of things so much. So those, even those, you know, three days on the weekend when I would work. Uh, it it wasn't work anymore. Right. So eventually, I decided that I wanted to that that was the path that I wanted to take. So uh, I made the decision to to move to New York and and was was fortunate enough to sort of land in a very good place uh, from the beginning and uh, have been uh, very fortunate ever since. Awesome. Uh, what are some of the goals that you've you've seen uh, either implemented or that you plan to implement at Lupa? Well, uh, certainly I think that expanding the, uh, 
you know some some of the areas of emphasis, like I mentioned, the Valtellina uh, was one certainly trying to represent the wines uh, from Lazio, uh, where you know Rome is located. Uh, represent those. There's not as many out there, obviously, as somebody who uh, focused in on you know some very specific regions in, in southern Italy. You're aware of the of the challenges of trying to represent a region when it's not necessarily, it's certainly not Piemonte, it's not the most well represented in people's books. So you really have to start looking around and, and say, you know, this guy has maybe one or two wines from one producer in Lazio. And hopefully, you know, hopefully they're good so you can put them on the list, but it's not always the case. And, and so... Uh, There's not like the Lazio importer you can go to when he's got 20 wines. Not yet. Yeah, uh, the, if day. he's out there and he's listening today, please... Uh, <laughs> Make it happen. Yeah, let me uh, let me know. Give me a you call. Uh, we'd love to we'd love to feature you, but uh, because it's a lot of work to comb through different books, finding one or two wines, and maybe tasting them, finding out they're not for you, and then as opposed to making the one call, right? Because I mean, certainly, we'd love to, uh, you know, I mean, we represent Italy, and we'd love to show uh, what's what's going on and show it at its best, but. Uh, you know our responsibility to uh, you know to ourselves but most importantly to our to our guests to our customers is to you know to just bring in really good wines and I think that uh, that would be the other goal that uh, I feel like certainly I've been able to implement some but is is sort of the continual focus and the real top goal for me at lupa is just to offer you know uh, wines that are really you know uh, that are you know great value, uh, whatever the price point. And and for us, you know, we're a pretty casual place, uh, and you know we're in Osteria, and the price point certainly uh, skews lower. And uh, people still come in and say, you know, my range is uh, thirty to forty dollars, and uh, you know we want those people to you know get a bottle and and feel like they're getting you know, something special, something they say, wow, this is, this is fantastic. And, uh, I think that, you know, those who have, uh, preceded me there have, you know, really been able to do that well. And I, I think that, you know, with any luck, I'll be able to continue that, uh, that tradition. There's been a lot of bold faced names associated with that restaurant over time and still are like, uh, Mario Batali and Joe Bastianich and Mark Ladner. What are you taking from working, uh, with them beside them? Uh, what are some of the things you've noticed or lessons you've learned? Well, certainly I think that between, uh, Mario and Joe, you have, uh, just consummate businessmen. Uh, I think that, you know, Obviously, they've uh, made some missteps here and there uh, that have been, uh, you know, very highly publicized. Uh, I think just in part because they've already, uh, you know, been so successful. Obviously, uh, everything that they do uh, from, you know, from some time back, but obviously uh, to, into the future is is highly visible. Uh, but I think that even more than you know, the business acumen I think they, they display on a, on a regular basis is that, you know, it's all driven by uh, the love of Italian food and wine and culture. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so, how's that playing out? Like, what is it that what is it that you see that they're doing to reinforce that? Well, uh, by trying to, uh, you know, certainly uh, serve as ambassadors uh, for it, you know, here in America, by first of all, at you know all uh, all the restaurants across the group. I think usually the you know the intention is to uh, come as close as possible to the true Italian experience in terms of food and, and wine. Uh, but they themselves will be the first to say that, you know, uh, that can only reproduce it so far. And, you know, they will uh, have certainly, you know, always told the staff and, and, and told anyone else that who will listen to, you know, to go to Italy, uh, and experience it for yourself because it is it is such a such a fantastic place. Have you had a chance to go? Uh, I have. I've awesome. Where'd you go to? Well, I uh, I've been to uh, Rome primarily. Okay. A couple times now. Uh, I, last time was seeking uh, out that Lazio importer. Yeah. Well, you know, I was there back in June and uh-huh. uh, got the chance to uh, tour the city. Uh, in the company of you know of some some roman you know natives and really oh awesome uh you know really get exposed to uh a lot of the things that make rome special but also uh visit some of the restaurants that were the inspiration oh yeah because uh, it's for, a roman trattoria inspiration right ab- absolutely uh and you know i had the experience of you know having some of the traditional roman pastas you know, in Italy, which which we feature at the restaurant, sure. and you know, I can say that uh, a few of our versions were superior to ones that I had there. Uh, and obviously, like I said, you can't. They've got the Spanish steps, though. Well, you know, that's yeah. Like you can't you yeah. can't reproduce the setting, and <laughs> you know, certainly, uh, uh, you know, my uh, my desire to uh, just go back to Italy and see as much as possible is, uh, is still very strong. But, um, I think that, you know, hopefully, uh, if people don't have that opportunity, you know, we'd love, uh, to see them, you know, come visit us and come have, uh, what we think is, is, you know, is the Italian experience. So in terms of engaging on the wine side, if somebody were just starting out, and they wanted to know about how to kind of better get a grasp of Italian wine in general, as opposed to French wine or Chilean wine or American wine or Argentinian wine or Australian wine. What are some of the things that kind of stand out for you as hallmarks of wine that is from Italy? Well, I would say that uh, the tradition of Italian wine certainly has been uh, rusticity. And I think that that is, you know, just goes along with the history. I mean, obviously wine is, uh, an item that ideally is made by farmers. I mean, mm-hmm. they grow the grapes and, you know, uh, in modern times, people have gotten away from that. Obviously there's, uh, big cooperatives, there's big, uh, companies that the process becomes too, uh, industrialized and mechanized, but, uh, I think that Italy is a country where, uh, you know, the best wines have always come from people that are still uh, 
close to the soil, living on it, working it every day. And that's, that's what they do. So I would say that, uh, I would, you know, if I was trying to get a handle on Italian wines, I would start to, you know, seek out, uh, those wines that, uh, that do have a history uh, of being tied, uh, to the land. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, plenty of uh, plenty of producers in Piemonte where you have generations of, of uh, you know families that have been making wine for a long time uh, and so many other regions in Italy are like that you know I think that most people start out knowing the wines of, of Tuscany or being introduced uh, to Sangiovese which uh, is probably the area in Italy where there's been the most change and the most uh, modern influence recently. So I think that uh, while I think Tuscany is is an amazing place, and while you know, Sangiovese certainly is is you know one of the one of the key uh, Italian varietals, I would I would you know I would say to people be careful uh, you know uh, or at least you know maybe maybe start with you know even start with some Chiantis if you want to do that. Uh, don't go straight for the Super Tuscans because you know if you really want to get to know. Uh, the country uh, certainly that's part of you know that's part of uh, Italy's wine history and recent wine history. But if you really want to uh, go a little deeper, I think you take a little bit more work in the beginning, but it's gonna it's gonna reward you. So some of the polish that you might see in certain more modern style wines can actually kind of keep you away from the the soul of the rusticity of the of the Italian wine. Well, I think so, and I think I think the strength of Italian wine uh, as a culture is that they have so many different indigenous varietals. And if you are coming to those uh, in a way that you've had lots of modern technique uh, sort of, you know, placed between, uh, between the consumer and those wines, uh, you're, you're starting to lose that character. And certainly, uh, you know, the, beauty of part of Italy is that there's so many wonderful wines and so many wonderful uh, grapes that uh, don't taste just like uh, wines from California or wines from uh, wines from Australia or, or, you know, any other region that's, that's uh, just planting Cab and Merlot and Bordeaux varietals. Oh, I see. So something a little more distinctive from a place that's uh, unique and not, uh, not replicated elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we said uh, Fiano uh, being an example, uh, but certainly uh, wines from uh, from the north, uh, Teraldigo. Uh, if you uh, head south, wonderful uh, varietals like Cananao, uh, Norella Mascalese uh, in Sicily. I think all of those uh, are so wonderfully distinct and and. Uh, give you that great sense of being from those places uh, that they're from, and I think that is uh, that's what, at its best, Italian wine offers. It's such a wonderful place, and I think that the wines uh, can really uh, can really convey that. Well, I see here you brought a Fiano, so maybe we should try to give that a shot and see how it's drinking. You can tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so here we have a uh, Fiano di Avellino. Oh, okay. Uh, and this is. Uh, producers uh, Chiro 
Picurello, uh, and they're in uh, Sumonte, which is uh, just outside of Avellino. So you're basically talking about uh, the, almost the exact geographic center of Campania, uh, which is sort of the the southwest uh, of of Italy. People know uh, the Amalfi Coast. They hear that if oh, okay, sure, so you know near the Amalfi, that volcanic area near Pompeii that you were absolutely. So uh, so this is the uh, 2010 uh, vintage, and oh, oh. Uh, you know, beyond that, it's sort of a throwback to some of the Italian wines of the last five, ten years. Uh, the producer has a website. It's uh, very, very limited. Yeah, in the information in the that they style. give you. The Rustis, uh, Rustico website, uh, for sure. Uh, it's sort of like here we are. We make Fiano and we make uh, Greco and and <laughs> a Alianico. piece of information you may have already been aware of since you found the website right. in the first place. You're like, oh, you make Fiano. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, for me, certainly. Uh, this is a Fiano if people have uh, had the opportunity to maybe have uh, Fer- Terador de Palo. Yeah. I think that would... It's a good producer. I think that would be, uh, if you're trying to imagine this at home, uh, the closest comparison. Uh, it definitely has uh, you know, some of the great uh, smokiness to it on the nose and the palate. Uh, definitely uh, some bright acidity and uh, some really nice, uh, really nice structure to it. This is drinking pretty zippy. Is that, do you think, a 2010 thing? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the 2011 is uh, is basically getting ready to uh, to come off the boat. But I think that uh, compared to, say, the uh, the 2010 uh, from uh, Clearly Romano, I think that uh, it shows some of the same character. But I think, uh, I think this uh, particular producer is just going... For a little bit more of that of that market acidity. So, if I'm trying to understand Fiano better, uh, you know, there's a few native white grape varieties to that region: Greco and uh, Cota de Volpe and Valangina. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what stands out about Fiano that's different than those those other host of of Campania white varieties? Well, I think that with uh, almost you know all the rest of those, well, maybe I would say that. You have not the same uh, same amount of fruit. Fiano is there certainly can be uh, you know fruit present, but uh, it's sort of secondary to some of the great you know, minerality and uh, the you know sort of smoky flavors that you get. Uh, so uh, if people are familiar with some of that uh, that you get in uh, Cota de Volpe, you know uh, that sort of uh, austerity without, uh, you know, being, uh, too acidic or too, uh, too biting. Um, and then I think that certainly Falangina's Greco's from the South, especially if they start to be from somewhere lower on the plains, somewhere, uh, baking in the sun can come off bigger, uh, more tropical. And, uh, you certainly, I don't think, ever get that from uh from fiano mm-hmm. it has the fruit but it has it has the minerality it has the acid and uh that nice uh smoky character and i think uh all those things in balance are, are the hallmark of a, of a really good fiano so you, you mentioned that sweet corn capolacci earlier are there other pairing ideas that specifically come to mind for you for fiano in general uh sure uh certainly something uh 
we have a, a, a wonderful dish of uh, salt-cured sardines that are then... Oh, okay. Uh, they're salt-cured, and then they get rinsed uh, with a, a, a sort of a, a citrus rinse, which also, you know, cures them a little bit. I do that with uh, some golden raisins and pine nuts. Sounds and, uh, good. You know, uh, I think, uh, you know, as a general rule uh, in Italy, when you're in a specific place uh, and drinking that wine, you should be eating, you know, what uh, what that area produces. Oh, okay. If you're by the coast. Seems like a handy r- rule of thumb. Yeah, you know, by the coast, you know, you're drinking a Fiano, you probably want to have, uh, you want to have some great seafood. If you're up in the, in the Valtellina, uh, you really want to have... You know some wonderful uh, mountain cheeses that they produce. Uh, if you were in, uh, if you were in, you know, well, for instance, when I go to Massachusetts, Kelly's roast beef. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? And you know, when Absolutely. I go to Maine, lobster. And when I go to Florida, stone crabs. So you know, what I mean, Absolutely. I mean, it would only make sense that Florida, or excuse me, Italy, which is not Florida at all. Uh, although they both have Naples, uh, would have a diversity of, of foodstuffs from local areas. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, that uh, if you have the opportunity to go to Italy, I mean, that is the Italian table and the Italian wine experience. It's it's food and wine together, and both of those things are pretty much inseparable. You might have some wine uh, hanging around with friends, but really if you're there for uh, an hour or two drinking some wine. There's no way uh, food doesn't come into the equation somewhere. Well, Charles, I really appreciate you bringing that table a little closer to our guests and listeners today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Levy. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe, on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.